Calvary Church is located in beautiful Peterborough, Ontario, and is committed to impacting that community with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Each week, one of our preaching team draw powerful life application truths from the Bible. Check us out here or online at calvaryptbo.church. Well, if you grew up when I did, you're going to be familiar with some shows like Mr. Dress Up, Right? How about the friendly giant? Nobody really understood the friendly giant, right? Polka dot door, maybe? They entertained us, didn't they, for hours. They even educated us a little bit. And who can forget Sesame Street with their skits with Grover and Kermit the Frog, the typewriter, or this one? A mom who was preparing to send her daughter to the store for a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. Do you remember that one? To help her remember, she heads off down the road, prancing as only slender pencil lines from the 80s could do, all the while reciting... A loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. A loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. Well, we're preparing to wind down our time in 1 Thessalonians. As as we come right now into week five of our six-week series. And over the past weeks, you have gathered in homes around this book. You've been engaging in conversations. You've been challenged by God's word and by each other as you have grown in your relationship with God and in community. Those are all wins. So, you know, back in the spring, a team of us gathered in the boardroom here at Calvary, and we began to pray for a greater understanding of the word, and for you as a group, and as groups, and as individuals. And now here we are with just two weeks left. As we come into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and onward, where we begin to see Paul wind down the letter with some final, for now, instructions to the people of Thessalonica. A list of instructions, actually. Not much unlike a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 to 22 together. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to it, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It'll be on the screens as well. Now we ask you, brothers to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test everything, hold on to what is good, 
and avoid every kind of evil. In this passage, Paul is transitioning from his teaching about how people should live as they anticipate the return of Christ. He's shifting gears to a more general instruction as he lists a series of brief instructions for the people of Thessalonica. These instructions can be divided into three groups. Instructions about caring for leaders, instructions about caring for each other, and instructions to the church in general. Together, these three groups of instructions, they remind us and they remind these new believers of practices and behaviors that are indicative of those who find their identity in Christ. Characteristics of children of the day, as Paul refers to them in, earlier in chapter 5. You're going to have some great conversation in your groups this coming week, I'm sure. As you dive into this whole chapter a little bit deeper, this section a little bit deeper. But it's really this morning from verses 16 to 18 that I want us to pitch our tent today. If you have ever taken piano lessons, you are familiar with the value of a catchy phrase to help you learn the notes on the staff, right? Like face, or every good boy deserves fudge, right? My new favorite is this one, Granny's brain doesn't function anymore. <laughs> right? That was new to me a couple weeks ago. In verses 16 to 18, Paul is offering a similar strategy that would enable the readers to get to the point and not forget ever. It's almost poetic, but it's very certainly memorable. And with this strategy, Paul enables his readers to quickly learn the language of Christian behavior. Verse 16 to 18, let's read it. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Paul is reminding the readers here in this letter that a healthy, growing church is one that is characterized by joy, prayer, and gratitude. So let's break them down a little bit. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So the first one, rejoice always. You know, there is no doubt that the early Christians, including those here in Thessalonica, had it tough. Tougher than what you and I could say probably ever. Publicly declaring their faith in Jesus Christ, being a follower of Christ, for some, meant losing income. It meant persecution. It meant division in their families. It even, for some, meant death. The readers of this letter were experiencing the early days of the gospel in their city. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that Paul and Silas nearly lost their lives bringing the gospel there. 
Chapter 1 reiterates that. We're told they saw severe suffering. Chapter 2, we read how they faced strong opposition. All of this to be sure that it's clear Thessalonica wasn't an easy place for the gospel, and it certainly didn't seem like anything to rejoice about. But Paul knew that. In fact, he'd experienced it himself. And for him to say, rejoice always to this group of people, it wasn't just a shot in the arm or a heads up, everything's going to be okay. Instead, Paul knew that they could glory in their sufferings, as he mentions in Romans 5, because suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character, hope, and this hope does not disappoint. In the movie The Grinch, perhaps you've seen it recently, the Grinch was bound and bent that he wanted to rob Whoville of Christmas. He hated Christmas. And the fact that this town was so joyful and excited over this season, well, that irritated him even more. So he devised a plan. And on Christmas Eve, he robbed Whoville of everything Christmas. And when everyone woke to empty homes and no Christmas trees and Christmas lights, despite their shock and disappointment, they gathered and began to sing. Why? Because Christmas wasn't about things for them. Christmas was in the heart. And no Grinch could rob them of that. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Paul experiences this fullness of life so much so that regardless of what he faced, he still had a message of joy. And regardless of what the Thessalonians faced, they could rejoice too. And regardless of what you and I face, guess what? We can still have joy. Because yes, the enemy does seek to destroy, but Jesus, he seeks to bring life, and not just any life, abundant, eternal life. Oh, there is so much to be gloomy about. Even this past week, we've witnessed it. Random acts of violence war, human trafficking, rape, murder, terrorism, starvation, climate change, persecution, bullying, poverty, homelessness, political mayhem. This is the reality of the day in which we live, folks. I came across an article recently 
that list at 50 reasons to be unhappy. In case you didn't need, didn't have enough. It included things like worry, unforgiveness, loneliness, perfectionism, busyness, debt, hating your job. And how about this one? Not having a dog. So between it all, you can be certain our list for not being joyful is endless. But Paul, imprisoned for his faith in God, having many reasons to be anxious, having many reasons to worry, to be overwhelmed with life, he still writes over and again in his letters throughout the New Testament that we should rejoice always. Why? Because it's not about what we feel. It's about the fact that good, the good news of Jesus Christ gives us hope. The news, it's going to throw headlines at us that are horrible every single day. Our families are never going to be perfect. Our homes are always going to have at least one junk drawer. Our relationships are sometimes going to cause us angst, Brokenness will be a part of our lives, but our hope is not in our picture-perfect homes, our well-behaved children, or the status we have at work, thankfully. Our hope is in the one who is able to meet us in all of that, and what he brings to the table never changes. It never fades away. The fact that God loves us will never change. The fact that Jesus is the victor will never change. The fact that our Heavenly Father offers the hope of life eternal to those who believe in Jesus Christ, that will never ever change, people. And this church should, this should bring us great joy. And when the world is dark with defeat, and when those around us are weighted down, even overwhelmed and discouraged, we can be the example like Paul was for the Thessalonians. And when people look at us, may they be attracted to us. Because in the midst of turmoil, we display a joy that cannot be explained by anything other than the fact that when everything else fails, Jesus never will. And that should bring us joy today, folks. Church, that should bring us joy. So rejoice always. The second thing Paul's, Paul instructs us here is to pray without ceasing. You know, I remember a time B.C., before cell phones, sadly. It was a time when you had to wait until someone was in front of you to talk to them. There wasn't email, cell phones. It was that time when if your mom was running errands and you found out, you remembered while she was out that you needed Bristol board for a school project, you couldn't tell her until she came home and then had to go out again. This, 
This was the way life was. Today, though, we are more connected than ever. We see people walking down the streets looking like they're talking to themselves, but in fact, they're not. In fact, they could be communicating with someone on the other side of the world. We know that at any moment we can pick up on our phone and usually somebody will answer. That we understand. That makes sense to us. But when we talk about prayer and the fact that we have a direct line to our Heavenly Father, this concept of praying continually, well, sometimes we don't get that. Sometimes that messes with our mind. You mean I have to be on my knees all day long? Every day? Well, how will I ever get anything done? Who will buy the groceries, make the dinner, get the kids from school? But that's not necessarily what Paul is talking about here. Instead, it is a continual posture of leaning into God with full confidence that he is able to meet us wherever we are at any time. You could say that it's a lifestyle of prayer. And before you turn me off and say, oh, okay, what a relief. I don't have to carve out chunks of time to pray. I can do it on the run. Might I suggest you consider that a lifestyle of prayer includes both spontaneous prayers that are our response to arising situations throughout the day, as well as disciplined times of prayer. From the Old Testament, Daniel is a great example of this. We read about him setting aside times morning, noon, and night to pray. Jesus is also a great role model for this because he carved out time in the busyness and craziness that he was in the midst of and got alone and talked to his father and spent time with his father. Both disciplined prayer times and spontaneous prayers combine to create a posture of continued prayer. And as we pray continually, we demonstrate that we are reliant on God. We recognize that he knows us better. We acknowledge that his ways are better. We demonstrate the lordship of God over our lives and we submit to him and his desires for us and to the sovereignty of his will. Unfortunately, some of us spend more time developing habits of healthy eating, exercise, even rest than we do developing the habit of prayer. K. Arthur says, it's sad that many of us are so busy and stressed, so enamored and entangled with the world, that we really don't know God as he wants us to know him. Positioning ourselves in a continued posture of prayer will help us with this. 
and we look at the health of our own spiritual life and the health of a congregation collectively called the church, one of the measures of health is prayer. And the frequency with which we communicate with God can be a barometer of sorts that gives us a measure of how we're doing. Are we growing? Are we standing still? Or worse yet, are we sliding? God's will for us, what God wants for us is this, that we would be in continual conversation with him, constantly seeking after him, always including him. Yes, it is a discipline that we must work on. And so Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he urges the Thessalonians, and ultimately us as well, that to succeed in continued prayer continually coming before God, we will, as one author says, have to cultivate discipline, focus our concentration, and be ruthless with distractions. That's a challenge, isn't it? So where do we begin? If we're going to cultivate the discipline of prayer, we need to be intentional about developing the habit of prayer. And I think that begins when we create space to pray. Whether that's in the morning when we first rise or in the night after everybody's gone to bed, carving out time throughout our day to be alone in the presence of the Lord will be essential for us to grow in our times of prayer with God. I think we also need to in order to have a habit of prayer, we need to be praying immediately. And by that I mean sometimes we get in a situation or somebody shares something with us and we say, okay, I'll add that to my prayer list. Instead of saying that, why don't we say, can I pray for you right now? Or if some God drops someone into our hearts and on our minds, we stop and we pray for them right now instead of saying, okay, when I get alone with God, I'm going to pray for them then. Sure, we can do that. To develop that habit of prayer, it is good to be praying immediately in the moment. We can journal. We can download a fantastic app called Echo Prayer if you're technologically inclined that will help you remember as you maybe are praying for a loved one or a situation that's arisen. And through all of that, we need to remember that God is always with us. In the car, at home, at work, at school, at church, he's there. And so he, we can communicate with him. So I challenge you this morning as individuals and as a church, pray continually. Work on developing a discipline of prayer. Rejoice always, pray continually. Finally, give thanks in all circumstances. And here is what this verse is not saying. It is not saying give thanks for all circumstances. Now, Paul, he experienced some pretty harrowing moments in his life for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was imprisoned, beaten. He almost died. This isn't about thanking God for all this stuff. It's about thanking God in the midst of that despair, in the midst of 
that circumstances. Because there is no place that he cannot be, reach us. There is no turmoil that we experience that he will not come near to us. There's no sorrow that we can go through, no pain that we will endure, no brokenness that we will encounter, that he is not able to meet us in the midst of that. And as that, we can submit to the truth, to the fact that despite our circumstances, despite the hand that we've been dealt, even in the face of hardship, persecution, challenge, he is still a good God who is always present and who always comes at us from a position of love. And for that, we can be thankful. For that our hearts can be filled with gratitude. So here's the bottom line. To rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, this, Paul says, is what God wants for you. It's what God wants for me. It's what God wants for us as a church. I'm going to get the team to come back. If you're ever wondering, what is God's will? What does God want for me? Well, here it is in black and white. In a way that's easy to remember. Just like a loaf of bread, a container of milk, and a stick of butter. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. This is what God's will is for you. This is what God wants for you and for the church. This, as counterintuitive as it is, demonstrates to the world that in the darkness, in the despair, in grave situations, we may be robbed of things, but no one can take what's in the heart, the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you are a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you. Set this in your mind. Go over it in your heart. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. But maybe this morning you're here and you are not a follower of Christ. Might I encourage you to because you can have the hope that we've talked about throughout this morning. You simply need to invite him in, and we would be happy to pray with you about that too. So as you get ready, and the band is going to sing for us and lead us into some worship, I encourage you to take a moment and seal that in your heart. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. God bless you.